All right, guys, welcome back. Let's open up with God's word today. Um, I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 34, verse 5. And it says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. God, we say we love you this morning. We ask that you would turn, uh, tune our ears to hear your voice. We want to hear from you this morning. God, and I pray as a result of us gathering together and as a result of us meeting with you um, in this time that we're just focusing in on your word, that we will not leave the same. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, guys. Well, shame is what we're talking today uh, about today. And shame is a powerful force. It's like the scarlet letter, uh, if you will. It causes us to feel like we are not worthy. Not worthy of God's love, not worthy of God's acceptance, not worthy of God's purpose or his plans. And shame causes us to feel marred. In some cases, to feel like we are damaged beyond repair. Shame is that emotion, that feeling that puts us in a state of being less. And ultimately, like Adam and Eve in the garden, it causes us to hide away from God. And um, we, we try to hide away from other people, to hide behind layers, to hide behind walls, to hide behind our accomplishments, if you will, so that no one can fully know what we've done or know what has been done to us. And Shane dominates the story. And day by day, it keeps us imprisoned to the past. You know, um, it's interesting. When, when God created the earth and put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the way it's described in Genesis chapter 2, it says, you guys all remember this part, they were naked, Adam and Eve, and they had no shame. Right? There was no shame. Isn't it interesting that this is a description of paradise? Yeah, it was beautiful, and yeah, there were plants and trees and fruit, and everything was in pristine condition, but that's not the ultimate definition. The ultimate definition was that there was no shame in that place. But immediately, Adam and Eve made disastrous decisions with these kind of huge consequences that fell out, and they, they, they fell in their own sinful choice, and the earth fell apart, as a result of their choices and guilt and shame entered into their story and into the story of our lives, the story of their lives. And one day, they were, naked, or they were naked with no shame. And the next day, they're hiding out from God and they're trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. Why? Because now guilt and shame are very much a part of the story. But even in the Garden of Eden... God hatches a rescue plan. He already had in mind a rescue mission in the garden, same as he does today. And we've talked about it every week in this series. God wants to bring you home and reconnect you to the purposes of God. And he wants to bring back to you in your life everything that the enemy has stolen from you. And we see this in the garden. And we see it today. And it's God saying, you can live free from guilt and shame. And I want to say it again because I came to church today with so much expectation 
because I knew when I woke up today, because of the power of the word of God proclaimed that somebody is going to walk free from the chain of guilt and walk free from the chain of shame, maybe for the first time or in a very long time. Somebody is going to ring that bell of freedom today. Somebody is going to say, I hear that Calvary bell ringing over my life and I can walk free. So guilt and shame do not have, a, have to be a part of your story for one more day. So I'm excited about this day. Now, before we go too much further down the road, let's talk about what guilt and shame are. A lot of times they get lumped together, but they're a little bit different. If you downloaded the notes, this is our first blank today. Guilt is the position of being accountable for our sins and our shortcomings. It's a legal term. In other words, in a framework of justice, you have to take responsibility and accountability for the choices that were falling apart or falling short of the standards of God. That's how guilt is decided. So the gavel comes down and the verdict is in and you're guilty. That's a legal statement. Shame, on the other hand, is the process of being defined by our sin and our shortcomings. Do you see the difference in those two things? Guilt is a positional thing. Because of my sin and because of my shortcomings, I, therefore, am in a position of being accountable and responsible for my decisions. I am guilty of falling short of God's best for my life. While shame, on the other hand, is saying, yes, legally I'm guilty, but I'm now taking my sin and my shortcomings, and I'm in a process of reshaping my identity and who I am based on my sin and based on my shortcomings. One is a legal state, and one is in an emotional and mental state. And we want to address both of them today, and we're going to address them both separately, um, but with the same solution so that we can find a pathway to freedom today. And the pathway to freedom for both, for both guilt and shame, is the same. And this is it. This is our story, and that our story today is a story of grace. Our story is a story of grace. Our story in this gathering today, right now, is a story of grace. That's what we have sung about. In fact, the lyrics of the songs that we sang this morning were all about finding a pathway to walk free from guilt and shame. We're gonna close with a song at the end of the today that says, I couldn't even show my face. Shame had gotten the best of me. Shame puts us in a place that I didn't even want people to know who I am. I definitely don't want them to know what I did. Uh, and I certainly don't want them to know what had, had been done to me. But we are singing a song of grace today, and we're living a story of grace today. We're preaching a story of grace today, and we're celebrating a gospel that is full of grace. We still believe what happened over 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and was raised from the dead. We still believe that's the place where we had our stories change, because our story today is a story of grace. So the first thing that we see about grace is that grace cancels guilt, Grace isn't some mamby-pamby thing. Now listen, grace is a, a left hook that absolutely destroys the power of sin in our lives. Grace cancels guilt. So how do we get out of this legal mess that we're in because of our sin and our shortcomings uh, before a holy God? The grace of God moves in and through the story and the work of Jesus. It cancels our debt and it sets us free. We see this in the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament. 
And people are sometimes like, you know, man, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, I do because the God of the Old Testament is being very patient um, with people who are continually falling short. And he's preparing a way day after day and year after year and century after century for this grace that we're celebrating today. But we even see hints of it in the Old Testament um, story. And so we're going to go back to Isaiah 6, which is amazing, because we see how God wants to work in our lives to take guilt away. And in Isaiah, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah sees the Lord. He has a vision of heaven. And when he has this vision of heaven, he doesn't say, oh, wow, that's cool. He says in verse 5, woe is me. Woe is me. So his vision of heaven and the beauty of God and the holiness of God doesn't cause him to go, oh, man, this cool. This is so awesome. I'm glad you brought me up here. It instantly allows him to see the gap between who he is and who God is. And he says, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So what Isaiah is showing us this morning is that the way we get guilt canceled in our lives is simply this. We understand that there's a finished work of Jesus that is who's on the cross and then we step in to receive that finished work by the act of repentance it is a finished work and so we return and repent which is where we say wow i I have fallen short of God's holy standard, and I have fallen short of what God intended and what God has as his best for my life, and I admit it. I take responsibility for it, and I realize that I am accountable for my choices and my sin before Almighty God. And so he says, I get it right away. A man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. So how is this going to be reconciled? And immediately, God goes into motion with his rescue plan. God immediately starts moving towards the repentant Isaiah. So repentance is not a negative thing. It's a doorway by which God comes to us through grace to do what none of us could do in and of ourselves. So let's look at uh, what happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim, and we've seen them early in the text in the first few verses um, in a vision of heaven. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So here Isaiah is feeling like he's finished before God. But not only is he not finished, his repentance opens a doorway for the restoring power of God. And here comes this seraphim flying towards him. And he's got to be thinking, all right, this is how it's going to (laughs) end. There's an angel coming towards him with flaming coal. This is it. Tell everybody that I love them. You know, here it comes, an angel from the altar of God with burning coal. God is going to exterminate me. And the angel arrives and he says, no, that's not God exterminating you. This is how God's going to exterminate your guilt. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And so 
We speed up the story now to the New Testament, and we realize that another live burning coal came down out of heaven, and that was the Holy One, uh, Jesus Christ himself. He came flaming out of heaven, uh, pure and holy and righteous, to give his life on Calvary, to ring that bell of freedom so that he could say to everyone who acknowledges him that they need help bridging the gap from their sin to God's holiness, that he could say to them what the angel said to Isaiah, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. How? Because of a great exchange that happened in the courthouse of heaven where we were guilty and accountable for our sinful choices and our shortcomings and Jesus was perfect and innocent. So God took our guilt and he put it on his innocent son so that we could take the righteousness of his innocent son and transfer it all into our account so that we could justly be set free by a holy and righteous God and we could walk free of guilt, all of our debt paid for by the finished work of Jesus. There had to be a legal transaction. There had to be something that would stand up in this court of law under the scrutiny of justice and the the holiness and the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus was the only one who could come to bear the guilt and the sin and the shame. And therefore, God could declare to us, you are guilt-free, you are forgiven, you may go free, and you may enter into a brand new life. We see this in 1 John 1, verse 9. And John is writing to the new believers and he's helping them understand the power of the gospel. And he says, if we confess our sins. Now that's a big if. If we confess our sins, you guys can probably finish it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so our confession, our acknowledgement, our saying, I'm accountable, I'm responsible, and I get it and I admit it, that confession then frees God and he moves towards us in the finished work of Christ and he cancels our guilt. So what a great thing today, amen? I I, I don't know any greater news to celebrate and I don't know any other reason why we should come and worship more than that today. to say that we are people who by the finished work of Jesus have had our guilt debt canceled and paid for in full. I mean, that's some pretty good news. So we might get a a shout there. We're celebrating today that our debt has been canceled by the finished work of Jesus. Guilt has been canceled. So if the enemy comes to you, which he likes to do, and he says, oh, so you're going to put your faith in Jesus? Oh, so you're going to go to church now? Oh, you've made a decision to become a believer and you're going to heaven? He's going to still try to come to you and say, hey, maybe you're going to go to heaven when you die, but I want to try to make your life hell while you're still on earth. And the way I'm going to do that is this. I'm going to book you an amazing cruise and we're going to go on a guilt trip. We're going to go on a guilt trip, me and you, and I'm booking you into a great accommodations. And some of you have been on that boat ride for more years than you would like to admit. Even though the bell of freedom has already rang for you, the enemy never quits and he never relents and he will wait you out. He'll talk you down. He remembers and will bring all those details of your guilt and shame. And he'll try to convince you that if you keep it hidden, somehow it'll go away. But let me tell you something, it will not. 
It will not. The only way that you can walk free is to step into the light with God Almighty and say, I have done some things and I have had some things done to me that have made me feel ashamed, worthless, irrevocably damaged, yet I hear freedom's bell ring in the day and I realize the gavel of heaven has pounded and my guilt has been canceled. So I'm getting off of that boat today. You don't even need to pull into the port to get off the boat today. You don't. The enemy is going to try to convince you, okay, well, we could get off at this next stop, but let's just hold on just a little bit longer. And you need to say, no, I don't need to wait till the next stop. I'm jumping overboard right now into an ocean of God's grace. And I'll just let the current of the grace of God take me from here. Thank you very much. Because I would rather swim home in an ocean of God's grace than go one more second on this cruise from hell to the next port, wherever you say you're going to let me off. God wants to book you on a different trip, and it's a trip to the cross. And that trip to the cross is a trip that frees us. Grace cancels guilt, but it does something else. Grace not only cancels guilt, it redefines us, and it redefines you. Grace redefines us from failure to family. So the scarlet letter gets redone, and the F, the letter F that's been on your life, which has been failure, which has said, you are a failure, and you know it, even if it wasn't your failure, but it was somebody else's that has kind of been exported onto your life, and you took that failure as being something of yours, God says, I want to change your story and change the narrative today. I want to turn the story from failure to family. And I want you to know today that you are a son of God, you are a daughter of Almighty God, and you are an heir to everything that I have. You have been written into the will of my family and invited into my plans, and you have a seat at the table with me. In 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it goes on to say, by the way, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. And all that does for us is we walk away from the freedom that he's put on the table. And we live eternally under this weight of guilt that has already been canceled. But what he says about us who do confess our sins is that we become children of God. A couple chapters over, uh, verse 1, he refers to us as his beloved children. This is the tone of the conversation. He's calling us his beloved sons and daughters. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. And he says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and he has made us his very own beloved children. That is what we are. We now have been the beneficiaries of a lavish love of our Heavenly Father, which has changed us from failures into family, from enemies into friends with God. Galatians says it this way in chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, of course, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So in the garden, 
God's doing the calling. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you, my children? Where are you, my friends? And where were they? Well, we're hiding out because of our guilt and our shame. (laughs) But now God comes through the work of Jesus And we are now made new as we confess our sins. And now that same spirit that raised up Jesus came into our hearts. And now God's not looking for us anymore. We're looking for God. Now he's not saying, Adam, where are you? We're saying, you're my heavenly father. You're my Abba. I I know I belong to you. I, I know. I've been born all over again. I'm a loved son. I'm a loved daughter of the almighty God. Grace didn't just cancel the guilt. Grace redefined me as a family member and as a friend of almighty God. Well, how does that happen? And how could it happen for you today? Well, I I wanna tell you how it happened for one person in our story because I believe there's something in this for every one of us today. And it happened for Peter with breakfast on the beach. Breakfast on the beach, I don't know. Some of you are like, that sounds pretty good. Breakfast on the beach, about right now. Some of you would maybe rather do brunch in the town. I don't know just what your particular preferences are. But this is how it happened for Peter. And if you remember Peter, he says to Jesus, I'll be with you to the end. I'll be with you. If all these jokers bail on you, I'm going to be there. Talking about the other disciples. He says, I'm not going to bail. I, you know, If all these other guys flake out, I am going to be there. You can count on me. Then what happens when it comes down to crunch time and Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and brought up that night to Caiaphas, the high priest's house, to be interrogated and beaten the night before he was crucified on the cross. Now picture this. The night before, Peter drifted up to Caiaphas' house where all this was taking place. Another another of the disciples, it says, had gone into the house, but Peter was still outside um, waiting or trying to get in. And the girl came out near a campfire it says, and said to him, hey, you're one of the followers of Jesus, right? You're with him. And he said, absolutely not. I do not know this guy. And two more times that night, Peter, who is so strong, so bold, so determined, so committed, so sure of his love for God, Three times, he emphatically denied even knowing Jesus. He bailed on Christ. And on the night that he was alone before he died for the sins of the world. Well, we know the rest of the story. Many of us do. The rescue mission went on. It started in the garden. It went on as scheduled the next day. And and can we just celebrate that God moves on with his plans even if we bail out? Can we celebrate that? Can we celebrate even if we fail God, God won't fail us? Can we just celebrate that? Even if we're unfaithful, God will always be faithful. So so Peter bails on the plan, but Jesus doesn't bail, thank goodness. And Jesus goes through with, with, with the mission and gives his life. And the next day, he goes into the depths of the earth. A few days later, he's raised from the dead by the power of God. Word gets back to the disciples from the women who went to the tomb. The tomb's empty. Jesus is alive. So Peter bolts. And he runs to the tomb. He's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. The last time I saw him, we caught eyes as he came through that door of the house and he saw me at that fire. Uh, He saw me letting him down and denying him. So can you imagine the mixed emotions as he's running to this tomb that he had this love and this longing to see Jesus, but he's like, man, the last time I saw him, 
It was pretty embarrassing. I've got some shame and some guilt from that. That's the last time he saw him. And he runs toward the tomb thinking, I don't know how this is going to go down. Maybe he's got a speech prepared, you know, kind of like the prodigal son. He's returning. I don't know. Maybe he's already ready for some kind of response, but the tomb's empty. They don't know where Jesus is, and so he goes running. Eventually, Jesus comes into the story. He appears to his disciples, but there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of commotion going on when he arrives. He appears a second time. Again, a lot of people and a lot of commotion. Then he says to his disciples, hey, you guys go back to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there in a few days. And so... They do. They go back to Galilee. They end up back at the lakeside. They end up back on their boats fishing because that's what they know. And this one particular morning, as they're a little ways off from shore fishing, Jesus walks up and he gives them some advice on the fishing. They end up catching a whole bunch of fish after a night of empty, not not getting fish. And then as they're coming onto the shore, Jesus has prepared a campfire and breakfast on the beach. I love that. Now, just just picture this with me because this is his invitation to all of us today. I'd like for you to join me today, if you would, not for an interrogation, not in the halls of justice, but I'd like for you to join me for breakfast on the beach because I want to say something to you and I want you to hear something from me. And it's going to change the stakes for the future of your life. Are you with me? You seen that? You getting that, that, that image in your mind? He had a plan for Peter, and he came for him, and he had a message for Peter, and he came for him. He built a fire. He builds this fire on the speech, and he cooks breakfast, and he said, everybody sit down, and he said it to all the disciples, and we pick up the story again back in John chapter 21. This is pretty powerful. It gets me every time the way Jesus chooses to restore Peter. Everybody's sense of shame is different, but I just want you to try and wrap your head around Peter's thoughts here as he's coming to this breakfast. Like, I literally denied Jesus while he was being led away to give his life for me. That's what I did. That's what's going through Peter's mind. And so in verse 11, it says, Simon Peter went aboard, and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Sounds like a lot to me. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. If you, might, if you want to start memorizing scripture, that might be a good one to start with. I mean, it's so good. You'll see why in a second. Come and have breakfast breakfast or, or lunch if you don't like to eat, you know, really eat before the noon hour. He'll pick a meal that works for their schedule, but come and have breakfast. Now, if we keep on reading, it says, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, and it, and it goes on, but I, I want you to understand a couple things of the context here. They didn't go for a private walk. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, let's go have a walk. 
Let's go have the talk. Come on, let's go. He, he didn't do that. This conversation happens around John, who's recording it for us to read. So it wasn't like, hey, Peter, you know, kind of come over here and let's have a private conversation. This was right there where they're all eating breakfast together, all of the disciples. And Jesus says, Peter, I've got a couple questions for you. <laughs> and all the rest of the disciples are like, oh, man, good luck, Peter. <laughs> because what's he going to ask? What is Jesus going to ask? Well, we all think we know what we would ask if we were in that situation. You know, that situation. He's going to ask you know, something like what, what we would ask. You know, I heard that you actually denied me three times, Peter, to a slave girl. For real? You know, I want you to say it. I want you to say it. Say it in front of everybody right now. We all want to hear it. Right? That's what most of us would probably ask, right? He's going to ask, why did you let me down at the most critical moment of my mission? He's going to ask, can you explain this to everybody, the, the, the rest of the story, because we don't get it. Or maybe he's just going to simply going to ask, so are you sorry? What is Jesus going to ask you when he gets you to breakfast? What do you think he's going to ask you? Is he going to say, are you sorry for the things that you've done? Or do you think he knows that you've already weighed that. You've already maybe even agonized over your decision already. And he doesn't need to make you bring it up again. He asks one question three different ways. And he looked right at Peter and everybody's like, oh, get ready, Peter. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Not more than these guys that were gathered together, but more than these boats, these nets, these fish, all this stuff that you've given your life to that I called you from, to this great purpose of being a fisherman of people. Peter, do you love me more than all this stuff? You know I do. Awesome. Feed my lambs. Right there, Jesus did more than any of us could really ever imagine in our lives because he got right to the heart of us and he understood all the consequences. Are there consequences to our decisions? Yes, absolutely. Were there consequences to Peter's? Absolutely. We're still talking about Peter's failure here today. And we're going to see him in heaven go, hey, you're awesome and you're a boss and apparently you're the one who's at the gates and so thanks for letting me in. Oh, and by the way, you denied Christ three times? Everybody knows it. It didn't get swept under the rug. It didn't get erased from the memory bank of humanity. It's in the unchanging word of God. There were consequences and there are consequences to your decisions and to my decisions. Jesus isn't sweeping things under the rug. He's also not riveted to them. <laughs> what he wants is to restore us in our identity. And he's saying, Guilt has been taken away. It's been taken away, all of it. Grace has taken away all of the guilt, but grace has also redefined you as a friend and as a family member of God Almighty. And I invited you to breakfast today, not to a courtroom interrogation. I invited you to breakfast to ask you, do you love me? See, Jesus had already paid for Peter's sin. That was done. It was finished. And he had triumphed over all of it through his resurrection. That was already the finished work. But this is the thing. He knew that Peter still was marked by shame. And he wanted to redefine him on that day. And so he asked him again, do you love me? I do. Well, tend my sheep. 
He asked him again, do you love me? And he said, I do. He said, feed my sheep. What is he saying to you today? He's saying, I know about your past. We don't need to revisit all of that today. I know what was done to you, and I know how ashamed and embarrassed that you've been over all of that. I know how it's defined you, and it's made you think, that's who I am. I'm somebody who's broken, somebody who's damaged, somebody who's been abused, someone who's been taken advantage of. That's my identity. And he's saying, oh, no, that is not your identity. That is what is done to you, but it is not who you are. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of almighty God. You're an heir to the king of the universe. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I invited you to breakfast today just to ask you one question. I need to know, and that is, do you love me? Do you love me more than life? more than pleasure, more than your past, more than your dreams? Do you love me more? And if your answer is yes, then here's his reply. Awesome. Well, guess what? I want you to be a leader in my church. I want you to be used for the purposes of my kingdom. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to join my cause. I want you to be a part of my mission. What he's saying specifically to Peter was you're going to be the rock on which I carry forward the mission that heaven sent you for. You're going to be a church builder, Peter. You're going to be a gospel proclaimer, Peter. You're going to preach a sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people are going to get saved on that day. You're not going to be remembered just as a three-strikeout denier of me. You're going to be remembered as a hero of the faith, filled with the power of the Spirit of Almighty God. You're going to be a legend in the church, not a failure. And that's what he's saying to you today. You do not have to sit on the back row. You do not have to live in the shadows. You do not have to live under the layers. You do not have to build walls. You do not have to sit back while other more qualified people lead the charge of taking the name of Jesus to the world. No, you're going to be on the front row. You're going to be on the front lines. You, listen, you are my chosen instrument to carry forward my plan to the world. You are my plan A. You are not going to live defined by shame. You are going to live defined by the Savior. And I invite you in, if you love me, to go and feed my sheep. If you love me, then let's get busy and let's build up the church. If you love me, let's go forward and not backwards into your shame, into the past, into your guilt. Together by the power of cross, we're getting off the guilt trip. We're getting off that boat today and we're getting on a journey to the cross. Psalm 34 says it this way. It says, those who look to him are radiant. That is a powerful picture of the opposite of shame. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be what? Ashamed. And here's how the enemy twists and turns it. He's got you looking away from the Lord. And for some, even this weirder kind of juxtaposition, you you would say, I may not feel super close and and intimate with God, but I do believe that he canceled my guilt. So what you said earlier, Pastor Sean, I, I, I believe that God has forgiven me, but you're quick to add, it's just that I I can't forgive myself. 
That is the devil talking in your ear. That is the work of the enemy and the handcrafted message of the devil for you. Because let's think about it. Let's just do a little forensics on that statement for a moment. You never could forgive yourself. I'm just trying to get to the point where I I can forgive myself. Hello, you were never in a position to forgive yourself. But when you were in a position where you could not forgive yourself, God stepped into position to do what only he could do, which was to forgive you. And so we don't need to worry about forgiving ourselves because we can't. And I'm not just twisting words. You know, you're saying, I can't let myself off the hook. I, I, I can't believe that I'll ever move forward again. I really can't live without this stigma. I feel like I need to, to make it up to God. And what I would offer to you today, gently, is simply this. No. You need to humble yourself under the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ and say the most powerful words of praise that possibly you would ever say, which are these, I agree with you, God. And if he says that I'm a loved daughter, I say, I am a loved daughter. And if he says I'm forgiven and free, then I say that I'm forgiven and free. And if he says his son bore the shame, then I am not going to bear that weight anymore. And if he says that I can go forward, I say I can go forward. And if he says I'm going to stop agreeing with me and I'm going to start agreeing with what you say about me. The phrase, I agree with God, breaks the pride of I can't forgive me. So let's say that this morning. I agree with your word over me, God. Because when we say I can't forgive myself, that's basically saying, Jesus, when you rang that bell of freedom, it wasn't good enough or loud enough. Only when I say is good enough will it be good enough. And Jesus is saying that bell shook hell. And it is good enough. So you need to hand in the script. I believe that God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. You need to hand that script in today and get a new script which says, I agree with God. He bore my shame on the cross. I bear it no more. The world behind me, the cross before me. And where the enemy has said, don't look at God because, you know, if you look at him, he's going to be angry. He's going to ask those questions. Why did you do it? Are you sorry? No, if you look at him, he's going to say, are you hungry? I cooked you some breakfast. Would you like some fish for breakfast? It's a Mediterranean context, right? So would you like some meats and cheese with olives and olive oil and some fish and some bread for breakfast? And you're like, well, don't you want to punch me? No, I want to serve you. I'm going to serve you. And then I've got a question for you. Do you love me? And I believe the words were so powerful in that moment. If you don't know, the most powerful of our senses attached to our memories is not our hearing. It's our smell. Can you smell the fire this morning? We've got it up on the screen right now. Can you smell it? Jesus took Peter's memory from the fire of denial to a fire of breakfast on the beach. Two campfires in this story. And Peter's going, huh, 
This campfire reminds me of when I said, I don't know him. The last campfire that I was around, I said, I've never heard of him. The last campfire I was around, I declared, I don't even know who he is. Jesus goes fire to fire, memory to memory, to ask one question. Do you love me? And I believe the words were powerful, but I've got to believe that it was just the look on Jesus' face that had all the forgiveness in it. And all the kindness and the, the, the twinkle of his eye, the wink possibly, the glimmer, the little smirk, the smile, the way that he was saying to him, you don't need to hide your face around here. No, look at me. I'm telling you, if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. If you love me, serve me. If you love me, you've got to get in the partnership with me in the kingdom work. I choose you. It was the face of Jesus that was full of grace. And I believe that's why those who look to the Lord in the scripture that we just read, their faces are never covered in shame. Because there's no shame on his. There's just glory. And that glory gets transferred to ours. And we're just like, wow. We get to shine bright. We get to be the filament that carries that glory. And so there's no more shame and there's no more guilt. He chose you. Amen. Pastor Derek. I don't know about you guys, but I have been loving this series. Um, Like I said last week, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, where you are in life. Uh, you know, these chains are things that like to come back. They like to creep up. And uh, this series has been, uh, you know, for some of us, I think it's been kind of a, a re-breaking uh, of things that, that maybe we've picked back up. Uh, like last week, the, the chains Sean used last week have, have been here in the sanctuary all week. And I've been here a few different times. And uh, I keep picking them up to play with them. And I keep putting them on because they're kind of heavy and they're cold and they're fun. And I keep picking them up and putting them on. And I think that's what we do. Uh, through life, we, we keep picking up these chains and, and, you know, we don't want that. God doesn't want that for us. Um, I just want to read to you something real quick. And, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus was hanging out one day and some religious leaders had found a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they dragged her out to Jesus in front of the crowd in the middle of everyone. He said, and they, and they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to catch him off guard and get him to say something that would, that would get him in trouble. And they said, uh, uh, what would you do to her? The, the law says we can kill her. And uh, Jesus basically said, fine, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Whoever of you hasn't sinned can throw the first stone. And they all left. But that's not the important part. That's not the part I want you guys to get. We're going to read verses, uh, this is John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What do you think that did to that woman's sense of shame? To be dragged out in front of the crowd, to have her her private sin dragged out in front of the world and shouted to uh, everybody that was in earshot. But then what would it have done when Jesus said, Did they condemn you? 
And she said, no. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Guys, that's what Jesus has done for us. And that's where we find ourselves today. Our sins, our, our, our shames, our, our secret lives have been laid bare to the God of the universe. We couldn't hide them if we wanted to. And Jesus knows exactly what we've done and where we've been. In his response, the Father's heart shown through Jesus' actions, our forgiveness and love and acceptance. And his response is go and sin no more. Get up, go live your life, but do it better from this point on. There's no shame there. So I'm gonna pray today. Uh, for us that, that Jesus would continue to, to break off those, those, chains of, uh, those chains of shame. But also, I want to pray with you, um, if today you're watching this and, and you uh, have not started your journey with Jesus, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that. So I'll, I'll have you uh, uh, follow me in a prayer. I'll say something, you'll repeat it. And it's not a magic like spell or anything. The, the words don't get you saved. The prayer doesn't get you saved. The prayer is just a, a verbal representation of change. Uh, that, that God is doing inside of you. So that's, that's all it is. And if, if today's the day that you want to you wanna start that journey and you want to you wanna proclaim it out loud that you're, you're going to follow Christ, we would welcome you to do that today too. So first, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you and spend time with you. Jesus, I thank you that you love us so much and that you love us so well. Jesus, we pray that you would, you would continue to break chains of shame off of our lives, that you would continue to uh, break the, the mental strongholds that are our past and that our, our activities have, have kind of latched onto us with. Jesus keeps speaking to us the truth that you died for our forgiveness, that you died so that our sins could be washed away. Jesus, I think it would help for some of us to realize that uh, what a disservice it does when we pick those chains up and put them back on. What a disservice it does to you and what you've done for us. Because Jesus, you died so that we could live, so that we could live free. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to continue to live free and stop picking up the chains. And if you want to, uh, if you want to verbalize your, your heart change and your desire to follow Christ, uh, go ahead and repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done for me. You died on the cross and you came back to life. And I believe that you brought me back to life with you. I thank you for breaking the chains of shame off of my life. And today I pledge to follow you with all my heart. In your name we pray. Amen.